There is a short and sincere request in the 11th chapter of Luke's gospel. It's in verse 1. It really helps us identify with the disciples of Jesus Christ. And in some ways, I guess all of us wish that we could have had the opportunity to ask this question, standing face to face with Jesus as they did. But we have no record really of exactly where this happened. But it seems that the disciples must have stumbled upon Jesus as he was deeply engaged in prayer. I'm sure there was quite something, something quite different about the way that Jesus prayed, something quite unique, something totally captivating about the way that he conversed with God, wouldn't you think? It's likely that they were so taken by what they saw that they dared not interrupt the moment. After he had finished, however, they were so moved with intrigue and so desirous of the experience that they were witnessing One of them made the request that every one of us have secretly pleaded in our own hearts and souls. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have longed for Jesus' help in this area of your prayer life? Have you ever quietly cried out on your own? In your own insecurity, Lord, I really don't know how to pray. Please teach me. I don't know how to make the time. I don't know what to ask for in certain situations or even what kind of words to use. Lord, teach us to pray as you prayed. So we need help with prayer, don't we? Like the disciples, we really don't know the hows or the whats about prayer. And no matter how long you and I practice the art of prayer, no matter how many books we read on the subject of prayer, no matter how many seminars, workshops, conventions, classes, or prayer summits that we attend, no matter how many different plans and structures that we employ to help us in our prayer lives, and don't get me wrong, all of these things are very good things. They're good things to sharpen our focus. Yet no matter how experienced, knowledgeable, or disciplined we are in prayer, we all realize right up front that there are times when all that we have learned and discovered about prayer falls considerably short of the mark. Amen? Times when we prayerfully hit the wall, so to speak. There are times when we finally come face to face with the reality that without the Holy Spirit's help, our prayers don't rise past the roof of our mouths. Right? The key to prayer is not so much in the what or in the where or in the when or in the how, but it's in the who. It's in the who. The Spirit's assistance is the key to our prayers. 
And the reason is quite simple. In our human frailty, we simply don't know how to pray effectively. Our words left to themselves are powerless. But in partnership with the Holy Spirit, who disables our weakness and discerns God's will in our prayers, they become effective and can accomplish much. Like James said in James chapter 5 and verse 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, the Holy Spirit's assistance in our prayers is probably one of the most overlooked aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Getting a handhold on the Spirit's role in this area of our lives really helps us to overcome our fear of praying in public. How many of you fear praying in public? Go ahead, raise your hand. Some people aren't raising their hands, and I know they fear praying in public. How many of you fear raising your hands in public? <laughs> we fear saying the wrong words. We fear not knowing what to pray for, how to pray in difficult situations. And it helps us to overcome discouragement if we don't see answers immediately and it replaces our anxiety over things that we have no control over with peace of mind when we understand the Spirit's assistance in this area. And the first thing we need to learn about prayer is that we must learn to lean on the Spirit's help. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, a favorite chapter of mine, preached on it many, many times. These two verses we're going to look at this week and next week. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. We're still in our series on the Holy Spirit. And in this particular two-part series... We're talking about the Spirit's assistance in prayer. Verse 26 of Romans 8, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. How does he assist us? Well, the first thing that we find here in verse 26 is that he disables our weakness. And he does it by supporting us in our infirmity. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. In the same way as what? That's the first question you should ask the text. In the same way as what? Well, Romans chapter 8 deals specifically with this helping aspect of the Spirit's work in the believer's life. Going back to the beginning of the chapter and reading it through, and you can do this on your own, but I just want to kind of summarize where we've been, where Paul's been so far in chapter 8. We find that the Spirit acquits us of guilt. That's the first thing in verse 1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's a big amen, isn't it? He acquits us of guilt. He affirms our new nature in verses 2 to 11. He talks about what we are in the Spirit. 
Look at verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. He also assures us of our blessed adoption as sons and daughters in verses 12 to 17. Verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, my Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. The Spirit also accompanies us in our present frustration in verses 18 through 25. Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Are you frustrated in your life? Are you groaning about your life? The Spirit assists us and accompanies us in our present frustration because the whole creation groans and longs for the consummation of salvation, amen? And we're no different. And so now we get to verse 26, and it says, in the same way, in the same way as what? In the same way that the Spirit is there to secure us. In all of these things, He helps us in our weakness, our human weaknesses, especially in the concept in this area of prayer. Now, it's no surprise that Jesus called him the helper, is it? He helps us in our weakness. Now, the King James Version, if you have one, wrongly translates this as infirmities. He helps us in our infirmities as a plural, because in the original language, the word is singular. So what does that mean? What, what difference does it make? Well, Paul is calling us to an awareness of our frailty in general. The word is weakness, all-encompassing. And the truth is, is that in our human condition, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we are one giant weakness. That's good news. <laughs> one giant weakness. As Gerald Sitzer put it in his book, When God Doesn't Answer Your Prayer, we pray as fragile, broken people. You feel that way? Now, one of the things, the first things that we need to understand then, whether we're talking about praying, serving, witnessing, counseling, preaching, teaching, or any other practice of the Christian life, is that the Spirit is continually there alongside of us to help us. That's His ministry. It's not that he helps us on those occasions when we feel that we're weak and we can't do it ourselves. You got to get that mindset just completely away from your thinking. On the contrary, Paul is stating clearly that we are in a constant state of infirmity, of weakness, and we always need a helper. Amen. We always need a helper. And Jesus said that he would ask the Father to send us a helper that we would not be left as orphans. And the word picture there is one of, of weak, frail, helpless children who need support and strength. 
That's us, folks. Without him, that's us. We have this propensity to give ourselves too much credit, don't we? It is he, the spirit, who dwells within us that convicts the world of sin, guides people into the truth, and brings glory to Christ. We don't do that. We don't convict anyone of sin. The Holy Spirit does that. We don't guide people into the truth. The Holy Spirit does that through us. And left to ourselves, without the Holy Spirit's power, we would not bring glory to Christ. We would bring shame to him. It's not our words, no matter how skillfully they're delivered or theologically accurate they may be. The greatest communicator in the world is nothing without the helper to give life to his words. The old commentator G. Campbell Morgan said it well. He said, without the spirit, a preacher's words can be, quote, homiletically brilliant, verbally fluent, theologically profound, biblically orthodox, and spiritually useless. The same exact thing can be said about prayer. It is the Spirit who makes it happen. The Spirit who makes it happen. It's not that we're sometimes unable to pray. We're always unable to pray without his help. He helps us in our weakness, Paul says. But don't think that means that we can be totally passive about it either. Prayer is a partnership. We can't do it alone, but the Spirit won't do it without us. Augustine said it better than anyone. He said, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Think about that. Partnership is the point Paul is making here when he said the Spirit also helps. He used a very unique word. In fact, it's, it's only used twice in the entire New Testament, and it literally means to take hold together. To take hold together. It means working together at the same time with someone to take an equal share in the work. The only other time this word is used in the New Testament, very interesting place, it's in Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. If you want to hold your finger in Romans 8, you can turn back to Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. Some of you may know the context. The context is Jesus is at the home of his friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Jesus is relaxing. He's teaching. Mary is where? Sitting at Jesus' feet. Where's Martha? In the kitchen. In the kitchen. And what is Martha? Very frustrated, right? She's running around trying to make all the preparations and with all the stress and the work, in the midst of it, she pleads for help. She says, Lord, tell her to what? Help me. She didn't just ask Jesus. In her frustration, she said, Lord, tell her to help me. Would you? She's just sitting there. I've got a lot to carry. I could use her help. 
tell her to share this load and uphold her end of the bargain of the work. That's the picture. That's the place where it's used, that word. When Paul says the Spirit helps our weakness, it means that he comes to our aid. He does his part. Notice the fact that Paul doesn't say that he does everything. It says that he helps us. As Pastor Kent Hughes suggests, the Holy Spirit doesn't give armchair advice. He rolls up his sleeves and helps bear our weakness. He balances out the load, so to speak. He doesn't relieve us of our responsibility as if we had no part in the matter. Eugene Peterson, former pastor, professor, writer, poet, gave us the message, and he writes that, quote, prayer takes place in the middle voice. I want you to remember that. You're thinking, what does that mean? Prayer takes place in the middle voice. In grammar, the active voice is when we take action, okay? The passive voice is when we what? Receive the action, right? We're passive, we receive it. But in the middle voice, we both act and are acted upon, okay? Prayer is exactly that, Peterson says. We don't manipulate God, nor are we manipulated by him. More accurately, quote, we are involved in the action and participate in its results but we do not control it, nor do we define it. Make sense? Richard Foster, in his book Prayer, wrote, I remember one night well, even though it were many years ago, it was many years ago, I was in charge of a gathering of several hundred teenagers, and the meetings had gone well. The speaker of the evening had just finished and was inviting these young men and women to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Now, this hush fell over everyone. It was a very tender moment. But just then, a belt on one of the air conditioning blowers began to squeak. You know how that works, right? Right in the middle of the height of seriousness. And the lights go out. <laughs> or a big clap of thunder happens. Or the wind blows through the window, like on Palm Sunday or Easter Sunday, and drops a vase on the floor, and everything goes spilling everywhere. Well, this belt on the air conditioning blowers began to squeak and a distracting, disconcerting screech echoed throughout the auditorium. And I began to pray. He says, Lord, this is a special moment in the lives of these kids. Please stop that noise. Oil the belt, blow up the motor, do something, do anything. <laughs> Nothing happened. And a minor crisis of faith joined forces with my frustration, he says. But soon I began to quiet down. And as I did, I heard this still small voice saying to me, why don't you go over and turn off the blower yourself? <laughs> it was less than five steps away from the switch. And in my youthful enthusiasm, I was expecting God to intervene by some divine miracle when what was needed was a simple action on my part. That's the idea in prayer. Prayer is a matter of disciplined partnership. One part, our responsibility to do it. One part, the Spirit's sovereignty to handle it. Follow me? Tracking with me? 
He balances out the load by taking hold of his end of the deal. He relieves us of the weight of the burdens of prayer as he works with us. That's why he's called the helper or the one who comes alongside, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help. One of the best biblical pictures of what the Spirit does as he assists us in prayer can be found in Exodus chapter 17. I'd like you to turn there. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 12. You have Moses and the Israelites on their journey. Okay? Moses... is up against it here. Verse 8, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us to go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Get the picture? They're in the valley below, fighting. Moses, Aaron, and Hur on the top of the hill. Moses is up there with the staff of God in his hand. And so it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And you do me a favor. You go out tomorrow, stand on your front lawn, and do this. See how long you can do that. Moses' arms were heavy. And they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on either side. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. Get the picture? Like Aaron and Hur, the spirit disables our weakness by coming to our aid, standing alongside of us, holding up the weight of our burden. In other words, he supports us in our infirmity. Get it? Pretty clear. A second way that he disables our weakness is that he sustains us in our ignorance. Look at verse 26 again. In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, this is back in Romans 8, For we do not know how to pray as we should. Basically, we're ignorant of how we should pray. And the Spirit sustains us in our ignorance. Our biggest weakness in prayer, according to Paul, and the reason we need the Spirit's assistance is our ignorance. Not that we don't know how to go about it, per se. Not that we don't know the general requests to make. Paul's not talking about the general characteristics of prayer, the the form or the eloquence or the technique. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the content. The content. The what of God's will. And we simply don't have the inside information on God's will in every circumstance, do we? We don't. Your prayers and my prayers need Holy Ghost reshaping, said Tony Evans. He shapes our prayers and forms them into God's perfect 
will. Do we really know the needs in any given situation? Tell me. When you get a prayer request that comes across the, your email list, do you know how to pray in every given situation? Or what to pray for? Or what the content of that prayer should be? Do we know the needs as God sees them? How many times do we get a request, come for you and I to pray, with the added comment, it's really hard to know just exactly what to pray for? Ever hear that before? Let me ask you, do we pray for healing? Do we pray for deliverance? Do we pray for God to take a person home? Do we ask for more conviction in someone's life or for more grace in someone's life? You tell me. Do we plead for mercy or do we ask for judgment on sin? Because you can find precedent for both in the Bible. How do we know what God's will is in all of these situations? Quite frankly, we don't. We don't. And in the final analysis, praying in God's will is ultimately what will determine whether or not the prayer has a prayer of being answered. Right? Because only the prayers in God's will are answered. So how do we know how to pray in God's will? That's why the Spirit's assistance is so essential. We just don't know all the what's of God's will, or what is necessary in any given crisis to accomplish that end. Even the most seasoned and faithful prayer warrior is at a disadvantage here. It's difficult enough to know God's will concerning our own needs, never mind the will of God for somebody else's needs. In light of that, you know what some people do? They decide, well, I just won't pray. What's the point? I mean, no prayer is better than a wrong prayer, right? Wrong. Satan would have you believe that. In fact, as Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests, he'll accuse us of not being much of a Christian at all simply because we don't know what to pray for. He'll say things like this, and maybe you've heard this before in your mind. You can't be much of a child of God if you knew your father, you'd always know what to ask for. But you don't know. You're ignorant. You're frustrated. The fact is that you are not a child of God at all. Because if you were, you'd know how to pray. You ever hear those voices? That's when we get discouraged and we don't pray. I want to tell you, do not buy into those lies. Don't buy into that. Paul points out that in our human weakness, we don't always know God's will, but the Spirit who does lives in us to sustain us. Amen? Amen? And he's there, Paul says, to help us in our weakness, not in our absence. Our problem is that we think that prayer is something that we can master like carpentry or algebra. Practice makes perfect, right? Forget it. It will never be perfect. But we do need the practice. Right? Here's a suggestion. Very serious suggestion. 
Don't work so hard at trying to become the perfect prayer that you end up with spiritual indigestion. Relax. Let it go. Because you need to understand we are never in control. We never become totally competent. Actually, we should surrender all control and competence to God. To pray, wrote Emily Griffin, means to be willing to be naive. Amen? Are you? Are you willing? Are you content in walking into a situation, any situation, and being able to pray by letting the Spirit lead you? Are you content in that? Are you confident in that? I can tell you most of us aren't. Happens to me all the time. It's happened to me abundantly in the last two weeks. How do I walk in with my best, with one of my good friends from high school I haven't seen in 20 years, is laying on a bed with ALS, cannot communicate other than a blink, and know what to pray for that man? Last Friday, my wife and I got two calls, not one, two. The first one was to go into the hospital and see a person who just had an operation I had never met before in my life. Have no idea what the religious background is. I only knew her son. Talk about going into a situation that's hard. We know sooner, I knew sooner to get out of that, and we got a call from my brother whose mother-in-law is dying of cancer in another hospital in another town asking us if we could go there and talk to her. How do you pray in situations like that? Especially with people that have no religious background. You feel competent in doing that? I didn't. But I remembered all the study that I was doing for this message. Amen. And I was thinking... You just go in there and let the Spirit lead you. See, don't stress over the fact that you always have to have the right words. Because you don't. Again, Richard Foster writes, Most often discernment and prudence operate hand in glove. I have an acquaintance I shall call Derek, who once went to the hospital to visit a friend who was nearing the valley of the shadow of death. As Derek rode up the elevator, he thought he might just command that disease away, but when he got into the room, he saw that his friend was asleep. Derek then did an unusual thing. He went to the foot of the hospital bed and prayed the prayer for guidance. Lord, how do you want me to pray? Immediately he sensed an inward check about commanding that disease away. In fact, he felt no prompting to pray at all. It seemed best simply to visit with his friend. So Derek went over to his friend, touching him on the shoulder to wake him and said, Good morning, I just came by to visit with you a bit. Derek's friend responded weakly but gratefully. Quote, I'm so glad because everybody's been coming in here, laying their hands on me and trying to make me well. And all I want to do is to go home to heaven. And I was hoping someone would come by and just visit with me. How about that? See, prayer is a lot like little children coming to their parents and talking about the daily stuff of life. That's what it is. Sometimes they have crazy, selfish, and surprisingly foolish comments and requests, right? But as parents, we're moved by the fact 
not what they say to us necessarily, but that they came to us. Mixed motives and all, right? How grieved would we be as parents if they never came at all? Because friends, I believe that God our Father longs for us to come to him in prayer. He longs for it. So I believe that prayer is having an intimate conversation with the one who brought us into existence. Amen? A conversation, mind you, not a monologue. It's a two-way street. And he's grieved when we don't listen. And especially when we don't respond. I'll never forget when God drove that truth home to me nearly 20 years ago. Some of you have heard this story before, but I love to tell it. This is a major defining moment in my life with prayer. It's through something that my wife witnessed in one of our children. My daughter was about five years old at the time. And I asked her permission to share this, so it's cool. She was outside in the yard working diligently on a snowman. Okay? And as she worked, she talked and talked and talked and talked and talked to her creation. And believe me, as a child, my daughter Sarah could talk. Yep, we never analyzed it, but I'd say it must have been anywhere from 250 to 300 words per minute with gusts up to 500. For 45 minutes now, my wife watched her desperately trying to communicate with this snowman. Finally, with tears welling up in her eyes, she trudged into the house, head hung low. When Denise asked her why she was so sad, someone my daughter said, okay? She explained that after all her work and effort in creating him, and with all her attempts at conversation, her snowman simply would not talk to her. You feel that little pain in your sternum right now? That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because that little innocent scene with my daughter almost 20 years ago was like God blasting a blinding spotlight on my own lack of prayer. How God must grieve at my stone-cold silence when all day long all he's doing is trying to communicate with me. Friends, we're at the, we are the work of God's hands. Amen? His precious creation. How do you think he feels when we fail to respond to his overtures? And I think one of the greatest reasons that we fail to speak to God is because we fail to hear God. And it's not because he's not talking. It's because we're not listening. Mark Buchanan writes, our speaking comes out of our listening. What we say comes out of what we hear. We have to be people who listen day and night to God. But there are so many voices and there is such little time to listen, to truly listen. Silence is the condition for true listening. But I have too little of it in my life, he says, my existence is a welter of noise, unquote. How do you feel about that? I read now in notes that the root of the word absurd is the Latin word for deaf. Absurdness. Absurdness is deafness. 
where the voice that speaks truth and love, that wounds to heal, that gives clear guidance amidst many false enticements, that voice is lost in the cacophony. We cannot hear it. We are deaf to it. For lack of silence, he says, our lives are absurd. It's true, isn't it? Friends, we're commanded in Scripture to pray unceasingly. Colossians 4.2 says to be devoted to it. It should be our normal way of life. Carrying on that running conversation. Jesus even taught us how to pray. But you need to realize that sometimes we just don't know exactly what to say. And that's why we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you know, the Apostle Paul was no stranger to that frustration either. When Paul wrote the words of Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, notice that he did not hesitate to include himself in the group. He didn't say, you don't know how to pray as you should. He said, we. We don't know how to pray as we should. This is the same man who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This is the same man who got his teaching under Gamaliel. This is the same man who wrote the prayers of Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to this. Listen to these words. We just went through them on Easter Sunday. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Doesn't sound like he has a problem with prayer, does it? And yet he said, we don't know how to pray as we should. Even Paul was frustrated with his prayers. Paul made his own mistakes. He didn't always know how best to pray. In fact, there is a classic biblical text in which Paul experienced an intensely confounding aspect of prayer that each one of us struggle with. You know what it is? It's that frustration that we all feel when our prayers go unanswered. Feel frustrated with that? Paul knew that frustration, and we're going to look at that classic text next week when God gave him a thorn in the flesh and he prayed how many times for it to be removed? Frustration as to how to pray. We're going to look at some of that in great detail about the concept of unanswered prayer. In fact, in order to prepare yourself for that message, I want to give you an assignment, okay? You don't even have to write this down. It's that easy. I want you to meditate on a poignant question that is both going to be troublesome and helpful. Here it is for next week. What would happen if all your prayers were answered. I want you to think about that. Okay? 
Because our ignorance, and, and, and qualify that in the way that you would like them to be. Okay? Because when we pray, that's what we're praying. We're praying in the way that we want it to turn out, right? What would happen if all your prayers were answered? Think about that. Make a list. Write a little blog about it. Send it to me. I'd be very interested to read that. See, our ignorance in prayer emphasizes our need of a helper. But that should not stop us from praying just because we need help. The Spirit's assistance is the key to our prayer. He disables our weakness. And out of that, we can develop a new desire to pray freely, a new confidence to pray boldly, and a new intimacy to pray very simply. And that's really what we all long for, isn't it, in our prayer lives? To pray freely, to pray boldly, and to pray simply. Isn't that what you long for? I heard Brendan Manning one time relate this story of an old man dying of cancer. And the old man's daughter had asked the local priest to come and pray with her father. And when the priest arrived, he found the man laying in bed with his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. The priest assumed that the old fellow had been informed of his visit. I guess you were expecting me, he said. The guy said, no, who are you? I'm the new associate at your parish, the priest replied. And when I saw the empty chair, I figured you knew I was going to show up. Oh yeah, the chair, said the bedridden man. Would you mind closing the door for a minute? Puzzled, the priest shut the door. I've never told anyone this, not even my daughter, he said. But all my life I have never known how to pray. At the Sunday Mass, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always went right over my head. And so finally I said to him one day in sheer frustration, I get nothing out of your homilies on prayer. Here, says my pastor, reaching into the bottom drawer of his desk, read this book by Hans Urs von Balthasar. He's a Swiss theologian. It's the best book on contemplative prayer in the 20th century. Well, Father, says the man, I took the book home and I tried to read it, but in the first three pages, I had to look up 12 words in the dictionary. <laughs> I gave the book back to my pastor and I thanked him and under my breath whispered, thanks for nothing. I abandoned all attempt at prayer. Till one day, about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. And here's what I suggest. You sit down on a chair, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus on the chair. It's not spooky because he promised I'll be with you till the end of the age. Then just speak to him and listen in the same way that you're doing with me right now. So, Padre, I tried it, and I liked it so much that I do it a couple of hours every single day. Every day. I'm careful, though, because if my daughter ever saw me talking to an empty chair, <laughs> she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me off to the funny farm. And the priest was so deeply moved by the story and encouraged the old guy to continue on the journey. 
And then he prayed with him, anointed him with oil, and returned to the rectory. Two nights later, the daughter called the priest to tell him that her daddy had died that afternoon. Did he seem to die in peace, he asked. Yep. When I left the house around 2 o'clock, he called me over to his bedside, told me one of his corny jokes, and an hour later, when I got back from the store, I found him dead. But there was something very strange, Father. Something very, very strange, beyond kind of strange. Beyond strange, it was kind of weird. So apparently, just before Daddy died, he leaned forward and rested his head on an empty chair. That's prayer. You can pray boldly. You can pray freely and simply with the Spirit's assistance. So go do it. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that prayer is not a complicated thing. I thank you that you gave us the Spirit to help us in our weakness, to support us in our infirmity, and to sustain us in our ignorance. And I know you've got more to teach us on this, Lord. But in the process of our learning, may we find the sweet, sweetness of your presence as we believe that you hear our prayers. And may our ears be perked to hear what you're saying to us that we might know your will in all things. Thank you, our Father, for this precious truth. And may we practice prayer as Jesus, who went before us, did. And it's in his name that I pray and ask it for the sake of all of your people and our relationship with you. Amen.